At Seacoast, we are committed to pouring into the next generation. That's one of the reasons that we're so excited about our partnership with Southeastern University. We love the idea of students being able to achieve their educational goals while being part of a loving, supportive church they can call home. You know, Southeastern University Seacoast campus is gonna be your place to find God, to grow your faith, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. Southeastern University is a fully accredited university, and during our first semester, we will be offering three areas of study to our students. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, one of the things that I love about my job is helping people discover the incredible plans that God has in store for them. We believe that our partnership with Southeastern University will be a huge part of helping an entire generation of young people do just that. At SCU Seacoast Campus, students will be able to pursue a relationship with Christ while they pursue their academic goals. Lisa and I love having the chance to serve each of you. We are so excited to see the doors that God's going to open as a result of this new partnership. Registration for the fall semester is now open. You can visit sebuseacoast.org for more information. We'll see you in class. We'll see you in class. Come on, that's something to celebrate. Excited that registration is open. If you are a parent uh, at any one of our campuses questioning what in the world are you gonna do with your child as they pursue higher education, I can't imagine a more exciting option than one that's affordable, fully transferable in an environment like Seacoast where they can get ministry experience and go after God. We're very excited about that. You know, just this week, we had some SEU swag start rolling in. I'm rocking a T-shirt. Brought a couple to give away. Does anybody want a T-shirt? Here, there we go, right up front. One of my other favorite pieces that I don't know exactly why we have other than we just really needed to is a foam finger. Exactly. Come on up and grab it, baby. It's all yours. And take it home. Anybody willing to get that excited for a foam finger? Frank, you're the man. That's exactly right. I thought about saying something else there, but I'll avoid any references about your pastor giving you the finger or any jokes like that, because we are better than that, and this is church. We wouldn't talk about that. Well, hey, listen, my name is Josh Walters, and I'm one of the pastors here at Seacoast. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of our venues at an off-site campus, wherever you might happen to be. We are so glad that you are here with us this weekend. Uh, this year, we kicked off a series that's lasting for 12 months. Come on, somebody. That was a long time, called A Year in the Word, and really excited about that because we came out with a reading plan where our whole church can track along in reading God's Word each day. In fact, on the bottom of your outline sheet that was in your worship guide, if you're new here or maybe didn't kick off the year with us, if you go to seacoast.org slash a year in the word, uh, there's several, several ways you can get access to that reading plan. You can get uh, part of it on version. You can download the Seacoast app. That's my favorite way to do it as I'm driving into work. You can actually push a button and it'll read the passage to you or also on that website there's a downloadable PDF version. But Ben, real excited about that because every weekend, the weekend message has come from our reading the previous week. And that'll be no different this week with the exception uh, that we have a special uh, guest speaker. Many of you know him and love him. He actually came to Christ, grew up in his faith, and was on staff here at Seacoast for just over 15 years. He was a part of our facilities team, then led our student ministry, then led college and young adults, then he was the leadership development pastor, then he was a campus pastor, and finally it was like, bro, we don't have any other positions 
left here. <laughs> and you're good at everything, so you might need to go plant a church. And so just over three years ago, he and his wife Sarah and their two kids planted Front Range Christian Church in one of the hardest areas of the country to reach. And God has done incredible things in them and through them. So Seacoast here in Mount Pleasant and all of our campuses, why don't you join me giving Pastor Ernest Smith a hand as he comes. Thanks, buddy. That was uh, way too kind of an introduction. As I tell people, Seacoast couldn't find anything I was actually good at. <clears throat> so they were like, here, why don't you go plant a church, you know, type thing. So man, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. And I wanna welcome all of you joining us online or maybe you're at the Somerville campus or North Charleston campus. We're grateful to have you uh, with us as well. And uh, I'm really grateful to be here. And I know some of you are like, well, Ernest, you're from Colorado. So of course you're grateful to be here. You know, it's probably like negative 800 degrees and eight feet of snow. And you know, that's like the first thing that people think about when they think about Colorado is the weather. Well, it's not the first thing that people think about, but we won't talk about that one. But I'm not excited to be here because of the weather because I brought the cold with me, but I'm excited to be here because uh, in my church today, I was supposed to talk about politics. And having you know, you don't wanna talk about politics right now, a amen. Uh, so I just did it by video and I'll let them deal with the stuff as they, as they need to. Um, so, I, so thank you for allowing me to be with you. Uh, I'm also grateful to be here because this is the church that I met Jesus. This is the church that I met my wife. It's the church where I grew to love boiled peanuts or boiled peanuts, uh, sweet tea. You know, this is a church where I developed some incredibly deep friendships. And one of those friendships is with your, your lead pastor, Josh Surratt. And Josh and I, we go uh, way back to where uh, both him and I have a, a lot of blackmail stories on one another that we could use at any point. And, and I know some of you are like, ha, 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 no, serious. So I brought a video um, that I'm gonna show you. And uh, just so you know, so you don't have to cover up your kids' eyes, this was a video done for a mission trip that we were going on. You may have to explain some things to them, but uh, it, 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 this was when we were in high school and we were going to Panama on a missions trip and uh, we were just trying to promote it to the church. And so you might wanna get out your cameras, your phones, because you're gonna wanna take a picture of one of these pictures and put it all over social media. So let's take a look. That's one handsome dude right there. That's all I guess. That guy hasn't changed in years. I have no clue why I thought the mushroom cut looked good, but I thought that at one point. So, but it gets better. Let's continue. I'm going to Panama. I'm Karen I'm going to Panama. Hi, my name is Kristen Hammond, and I'm going to Panama. I'm Andrew Page, I'm going to Panama, because I got a mission in Utah. Hi, I'm Matthew Morris. I'm Josh, Sarah. And you're welcome. <laughs> I know some of you are like, where's Pastor Josh? He's not here. He's out of town. I can do whatever I want. So, Sikos, <laughs> thanks for letting me be with you. Uh, I'm excited about the series you're in, the year in the Word, uh, because I firmly believe that it's God's Word that provides us with truth. It's God's Word that provides us with hope and peace. And how many of you know we need a lot of all three of those in our culture today? And it's only God's Word that we can discover those things. And I also firmly believe the number one way that God speaks to you and I is through His Word. Uh, and there's a lot of people who say, man, I don't hear God. I can't hear His voice. Well, this is how He screams. 
Like this is the way that he talks to us the, the, in the greatest way, in my opinion. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna take a look at a passage that if you're following along in the reading plans for the week, then uh, you, re- you read it earlier this week. Uh, it's one of the most famous uh, Old Testament passages there is. You, you may have read it before or, or heard it at a funeral or heard it on TV or in a movie or something. It's Psalm 23. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries. It'll be up on the screen. It's also in your worship guide as well. Uh, and this psalm was written by a guy named David. Now the Psalms, there's many of them, and they were a, a collection of poetic literature written by a lot of different people. But the main person that wrote the majority of, the, or the, the guy who wrote the majority of the, the Psalms is this guy named David. And David was a, the second king of Israel. And we're not exactly sure when he wrote this psalm, uh, but most scholars would say it was toward the end of his life, when the, the, his country, his kingdom was beginning to, to be destroyed, when his son was rebelling against him and trying to kill his, uh, to try to take his, own, his life, David's life. And so you can imagine, this guy is king of Israel. He's got everything the world would say you need. He's got the money and the power and the women. You know, he, he's even got a promise from God that, that his descendants will always be on the throne. I mean, this guy's got it all. And then toward the end of his life, his, uh, the kingdom starts to crash. His family is in a mess and his own son is trying to kill him. And then he writes this psalm, and it's a psalm of confidence. That's what it's called, a psalm of confidence. And it's a confidence in God's goodness that God is good now and God will be good later. And so David writes these words. We're only, we're only gonna do the first four verses of Psalm 23. This is what he writes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, most of us, we've heard some version of this psalm before. This is a, there's a, a universal appeal to this psalm because it speaks comfort into the most uncomfortable situations we can find ourselves. It, it provides us with a confidence in God's goodness even when everything else around us seems to, to be in a, a wreck. Uh, it, it's a psalm designed for the parents whose kid is in rebellion. It's a psalm for the soldier who comes back from war dealing with PTSD. It's a, a psalm designed for the couple who month after month are praying and hoping, praying, and hoping that the pregnancy test will be different this time around. It's a psalm for the spouse who so desperately wants their marriage to be thriving and healthy. It's a psalm for the person who feels abandoned by God. It's the psalm for you and I. Because if there's anything that I know about you it's that either you're coming out of the, sh- the, the valley right now, like you've just experienced some type of pain and hardship and trials and, and you, you needed comfort or maybe you saw God's hand of comfort during that time or maybe you're right now in the midst of a trial. You're right now in the midst of the valley and things are hard and difficult and there doesn't seem to be a way out right now. Maybe you've been walking in that valley for a long, long time and if you didn't just come out of that, the valley and you're not in it right now, now, then guess what? You're about to go in it because that's life. Like life throws a lot of valleys at us. And so you're always going to find yourself at some point either coming out of a valley in the midst of a valley or about to go in the valley. And this psalm is a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of comfort for when you find yourself in in that place. So let's break it down. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, this may not seem like a very big deal to you and I, but to the Jewish people, this was huge. 
uh, for David to say that he is my shepherd. You see, they would talk about God being their shepherd, but God was always our shepherd. God was never my shepherd. God was, was our, our nation's shepherd, our group of people shepherd. God was never my shepherd, but David makes it very, very personal here that God is my shepherd. And that term shepherd, it was pretty common. It was very commonly used for God in the Old Testament. It's even a, a phrase that Jesus uses in John 10, 11, when he says that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So this terminology of shepherd, it brought a lot of comfort to the Jewish people, but for you and I, we don't use this type of imagery anymore, right? Like when was the last time you went to your dad and you were like, thank you, dad, for shepherding me so well? You know, when was the last time you went to your campus pastor and said, thank you for letting me be one of your sheep? You know, I guess that's not what, you, that would be weird, you know, that we just don't say things like that. So what I want to do is I want to break down what does it mean to be the shepherd? What, what does it mean when God is our shepherd, that he is the good shepherd? So I'm going to give you four thoughts or, or four ways that God displays in this passage that he is a good shepherd. The first is a good shepherd cares. The good shepherd cares cares. When you read this psalm, it becomes very clear that our shepherd, that our God cares about us. David said, it's because of the good shepherd that we shall not want. Can you imagine being in a place in your life where you have no wants? Like where you just fully trust God with everything. And whatever he gives you, you're satisfied with it. Whatever he doesn't give you, you're okay with it. That you have no wants in life. David says that the good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures, meaning he knows exactly where to take us for what we need. You see, Israel wasn't known as a place of green pastures. It's very dry, very barren. Some of you have been there before, and back then it was even more so. And the only time that there were really green pastures was in the fall and the winter seasons. And so there wasn't a whole lot of green pastures, but the, the, the shepherds, they knew exactly where to take the sheep. They knew where they needed to take them in order to give them what they needed. And our God is also God who knows what we need and how to get us there. David says that he's a good shepherd that leads me beside still waters. This was a place where the water was not flowing. Uh, there was no rapids. There was no noise. The, the sheep could just have peace because he knew the sheep needed that. And our God understands that we need peace. He cares about that. He restores my soul. How many of us today need our soul restored. You see, the good shepherd cares. And I don't know what you've been dealing with. I don't know what you've been going through at your workplace or in your home or in your finances, your marriage, other relationships. I don't know. For some of you, I, I just believe that you've come into this place thinking, man, this is the last chance, God. Like, I, I don't know if you really care. I don't know if you hear me. I don't know if you see me, but this is my last shot for you to show up. Our God cares. I mean, the Bible tells us that he sees and he knows and he's counted every hair on our head. Now, for some of us, that's not a whole lot. So it's really easy for God to do that. For others of us, that's a lot. And, and it, he's showing us that, man, he cares enough to take time to count every single hair on your head. Not only that, in Matthew chapter six, it says, God cares so much about the birds that he feeds them, he takes care of them. How much more so does God care about you? Like if God's gonna take care of the birds, God's gonna take care of you because your God cares about you. And you may be getting pain right now. You may be going through trials. There may be so many unknowns around you and you're just wondering, when am I ever gonna get out of this valley? And our God is saying, I am the good shepherd who cares. 
He sent Jesus Christ to die for us, not, so, not just so we can be forgiven of our sins, but so that we can be redeemed, we can be set free, we can be healed, we can have hope, we can have peace. The good shepherd cares. He sees you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through right now. He knows the pain that you're experiencing, the pain that you will or the pain that you have, and he cares about you. The good shepherd cares. The second thing the good shepherd does, the good shepherd provides. He provides. I, I love the way that God shows us here that he cares about us, but you know, to, to take us to the, the green pastures and the still waters and to restore our souls and all that, but David makes it very clear that it's God who does these things. I mean, in verse two, it says, the good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. The, the good shepherd leads me to still waters. The good shepherd, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. It's God who does these things. It's God who knows exactly what you need when you need it, and it is him who will be the one who provides it for you. And this is so anti our culture, right? Because you're taught that if you need anything, you get it. Work harder, work smarter, like achieve more, whatever you need, go after it and it's on you. I provide for my family, I provide for me, my spouse provides for me, Mose provides that yummy lunch for me. You know, like that's, that's kind of our mindset. Like we think about us and all the things I've gotta do to achieve these different things and God's saying, yo, 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 I'm the provider. I'm the one that gives you everything that you need. I'm the one that gives you the job. I'm the one that gives you the money. I'm the one that gives you the healthy relationships. I'm the one that will restore the broken relationships. I am the provider that you desperately need in your life. Paul, he's one of the greatest church planners of all time. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter four. And he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We all have needs in this place today. For some of us, our needs are in our family, our needs are in our workplace, our needs are in our finances, our needs are with our kids, our needs are in our neighborhood. We all have needs. And God's saying, I, I want you to get it to a place, all of you, including you, Ernest, where you just trust me that I'm your provider. And you don't think that you have to work harder or work smarter or that you're the one that does all these things, but just give it to me. This is something us, us guys really struggle with. All the men in here, we're like, mm, I don't know about this, Ernest. Because we, we, we've been taught, man, go after it, do it. You're the provider of your family. You're the hunter and gatherer. And God's like, I'm the one who provides, though. I'm the one who gives you everything that you need, not just the physical needs, but the emotional, the spiritual, and the mental needs that you have. The good shepherd will provide for you. So the good shepherd, he cares. The good shepherd, he provides. The third thing the good shepherd does is he protects. He protects. My favorite part of this psalm is verse four, and it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, there are many times that the shepherds, as they were leading the sheep through Israel, that in order to get to the green pastures, in order to get to the still waters, they had to go through valleys, or what they called wadis. And as they would go through these valleys, man, it would get very dark, and the shadows would become very deep. And they had no clue what was lurking in the darkness. They had no clue what dangers abounded. They didn't know when an animal would jump out and try to attack them. They didn't know when robbers would jump out and try to attack them. So this was a scary time. I mean, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that was not easy. It was not fun walking through a valley. And God's saying that when you do walk through the valley, that even though 
you walk through the valley, don't fear. Because I'm with you and my rod and my staff, they will protect you. Now, this is a, a, an example of a rod and a staff. This is the rod. A rod would usually be a little bit shorter than this, a little bit thicker, and it was used to protect the sheep. That's what a rod was used for. And so a wild animal would come to try to attack the sheep and, and the, the shepherd would either use this to, to try to beat the animal or if it was me, I'd just like wave it and scream real loud to try to like scare it off. You know, I'm not trying to attack that thing. You know, so, but that's what a rod was. It was for protection. And then the staff was for guidance because sheep aren't always the smartest things. And so they just kind of go out on their own, their own way. And so a shepherd would use this and you know, nudge them in the stomach or, or whatever and hit it on a rock and they would know, okay, don't go that way or go this way. They had great communication with this right here. And so this was meant, the staff was meant to guide and the rod was meant to protect. And, the, and God tells us, hey, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though there is darkness all around you, even though there's pain and there's fear and you have no clue what's gonna come out, you have no clue when you're ever getting out of that, don't worry, don't fear because my rod will protect you and my staff will guide you. I will comfort you. I've seen how true this is over the last three and a half years. You know, I, I was born in Charleston and God led us to, to move to Colorado. Man, we love it, we love it out there, but it has been some of the most challenging years of my life. And there have been many, many times we've been walking through the valley, whether it's been personally or in ministry, it's just been difficult. And when we're in the midst of walking through the valley like that, I, I know for me, I, I think about this passage and I go, okay, even though, but God, your rod and your staff, they will comfort me and what that looks like for me is it means I dive deeper into God's word. So I'm reminded of what he says about me rather than listening to what others say about me. It means that I, I, I literally will recite out God's word. I will remind myself on a daily basis what God says because I, don't want, I, would, I would rather listen to the truth than to the lies that even I tell myself or that my, my past has told me. You know, so I have to stand. I have to stand on God's word. Like for me, I have to remind myself constantly, Ernest, you are not defined by your success or failure. You are defined by what Christ has done on the cross for you. I have to continually remind myself that, you know, that how God has wired me, how God has equipped me, what God has called me to do with my kids, how God has called me to serve my wife continually. And it's just quoting scripture. It's just reminding myself of what God has said to me and what God has said about me because others will lie, I will lie, and the enemy will lie. And so God's word is the rod that protects you from the lies and the deceit of the enemy. It's God's word that will guide you to make sure, hey, go back on this path. Hey, don't give up. Hey, I've called you to this. Hey, don't forget what I've said. His rod and his staff will comfort you. That is God's word. It could also be community in your life. It can be a small group or a mentor that's in your life that says, hey, I know what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. But let me remind you of who your God is. Let me remind you of what God says. Your rod and your staff won't comfort you. It's his rod, it's his staff. So even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have anything to fear because God's rod and God's staff, they will comfort you. So God cares, God provides, God protects, and the fourth thing that a good shepherd does is a good shepherd never leaves. A good shepherd never leaves. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though it's hard and you're hurting and you're broken and you wanna give up, you think you can't do it anymore, you don't wanna do it anymore, 
Remember, your God has not left you. He is right there with you in the midst of the valley. And if I'm sitting in your seat, I'm asking the question, well, Ernest, why do we even have to go through the valleys? I mean, like if that's a painful place and our God is such a good God and he wants good things for us, then why do we have to go through the valley? Like, wouldn't it be much better to live life on top of the mountain? I mean, that sounds like a better place to live, right? And when we moved to Colorado, we discovered that in the, in the summertime, one of the number one things people love to do is climb 14ers. And a 14er is a mountain that's peak is over 14,000 feet. And, and so when we moved there three and a half years ago, two weeks into being there, we had this brilliant idea to go climb a 14er. It wasn't brilliant at all, but we did it. I had new shoes, so I'm like, I could conquer this thing, you know? And so we, we set out one morning, woke up real early, packed a lot of food and not as much water, and uh, we started climbing this, this mountain called Pikes Peak. It's kind of a, a popular one uh, for those that don't live in Colorado. And so we started climbing that, and a few hours later, about half of our team made it to the top. And when I was up there, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, the view is incredible. You just, like, you feel closer to God. You have a story to tell people. But what I discovered that day is that life is not sustained on the mountaintop. No one lives on top of the mountain. Sure, maybe these little hills out in the East Coast, people live on top of them, but out there, no one lives on top of a real mountain. You can't, life is not sustained there. Life is sustained in the valley. God does some of his greatest work in the valley. In order to get to the mountaintop, you have to go through the valley. There's no other way around it. And for us, man, we, we love to not go through the valley. We don't, live, we don't want to live in the valley. I quite literally live in a valley, so I can't get out of it. I'm always in the valley, you know? But like, we don't want to stay there. We don't want to walk there. We just, God, I want the mountaintop. That's where I want to be because I see things different. I feel you different, and I got a story to tell people. But the real story happens in the valley. The real nourishment, the real sustainability happens in the midst of the valley. When you're going through the pain and the hardships and the trials and you want so desperately to get out of here and it's just darkness all around you, there seems to be no hope and no life and no peace or your God is saying, hey, I'm there. Don't forget, I'm there. I have not left you and I will never leave you. The Israelites, they discovered this many times. I mean, over and over. I feel like I have to do the same. Like, I'm just so stubborn. God's like, remember? I'm like, no, I forget. Oh, yeah, now I remember. You know, like, it's constant. And one of the times that the Israelites were reminded about God's faithfulness in the midst of the valley was toward the end of Moses' life. And at this point, they'd been set free from the Egyptian slavery, and, and they've been wandering in the desert for decades, just wandering. And now they've come right up to the promised land. Like they've come right up to the land that God promised to give to them. They can see it. They can see the mountaintop. There's just a river separating. That's it. God, you've already taken us through a sea. You could take us through a river. This ain't no problem. But God's not doing it. And they're just wandering. When is God ever going to let us get to the mountaintop? When is God ever going to get us to the green pastures and the still waters? And here's what's said in the midst of that valley in Deuteronomy 31. It says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will what? Not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you have nothing to fear for your God is with you. He is the good shepherd. He sent Jesus 
to die for our sins. Jesus came, the good shepherd came to free us from bondage, to heal us, to redeem us, to restore us, to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us life, to show that he cares, to show that he protects, to show that he provides, and that he will never leave you. And I know some of us, we've just come out of the valley, and my encouragement to you is to reflect back on how God showed himself to you in the midst of it. And sometimes you might have to look really hard, but reflect back, because if you can remember what God has done, it'll be a little bit easier to remind yourself when you go back in the next one that he still will be there as well. Some of you right now, you're in the middle of it. And I don't know what you're dealing with or what you're going through. I don't know the pain. I just talked to a woman right after last service who just found out this week she's got cancer and she has no clue. No idea what that means going forward. We never know when the valley's gonna strike. Like it's very rare for us to go, oh, there's the valley, let me prepare myself for it. It just happens. And that's why you have to prepare yourself now with God's word and God's truth in your heart, with really pursuing him. Because in the valley is where we see that the good shepherd cares. It's in the valley that we see that the good shepherd provides. It's in the valley that we see that the good shepherd protects. It's in the valley that God does some of his greatest work and there's no way to get to the mountaintop without going through the valley. It's in the valley that we truly discover that your God, that your shepherd will never leave you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and thank you for your word. God, I'm so grateful for valleys. God, I'm not usually grateful in the midst of them. And God, they are hard to go through. But God, I know that my character has been formed through those valleys. My character has been formed in the midst of that darkness. And God, I've been able to trust in you in even greater ways because of that darkness, because of the trials and the fears and the pains and all of the unknowns. And God, I've been able to get to a place over and over of greater trust and greater reliance and greater belief that my God is with me, that you are my good shepherd, that Jesus, you care, that Jesus, you protect, you provide, and Jesus, you will never, ever leave us. And God, I pray that you would just speak to us now on what we're to do with this. Father, I know every single week people come into this place and at each one of the campuses and even that are watching online right now. And God, we're at a place where we're just saying, I, I kind of give up. Maybe we're giving you a last chance. We're desperately needing you to show up in a powerful way. Maybe we just entered into the valley and we've been trying on our own, we've been working really hard, we've been relying on ourselves, and we just realize, man, that's not enough. And so God, for any person who right now in this place would say that right now I find myself in a valley, and I don't know when I'm gonna get out, I don't know if it's gonna get darker or brighter, but what I do know right now is that Jesus, I need to turn my attention to you. And for some of us, that's kind of a recommitment. Like we've accepted Christ at some point, we've walked with him, but because of sin or because of, you know, the, there's just struggles of life, the junk that we deal with, we've kind of lost focus on him and we're just wandering, sheep without a shepherd. 
But today, God, we wanna refocus our attention and our hearts on you. For some of us, we've never done that before. We've just been doing this whole life by ourselves. And we've realized that we will disappoint ourselves, that other people will disappoint us. But hearing today that you will never leave us, God, we wanna trust that you're going to never disappoint us. And so if that's you, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you would say, man, I, today I wanna focus my attention, I wanna focus my heart on Jesus Christ. I wanna focus my attention on the good shepherd, that I've been going through this valley, but I'm not gonna go through it alone anymore, that I'm gonna trust in my good shepherd now. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I just wanna pray for you. Amen, raise your hand, there you go, hands everywhere. God, thank you for each one of these individuals, Father. Thank you that you care so much about them that you know exactly what they're going through and what they're dealing with. You know the pains and the struggles and the reality of what's happening right now. And God, I thank you that you care enough about them to draw them to this place today. To draw them online or another campus, you've drawn them here to hear your word. And Father, I'm so grateful that you tell us in 1 John that if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So Father, we confess that we try to do this thing on our own. We've tried it our own way. God, we confess our sins to you now and we ask that your faithfulness and your justice would shine through and that we would see just how good you really are. Father, for those of us who are coming out of this time, this valley, may we be able to look back on your goodness. For those of us who are about to go in it, may you plant this word deep in our hearts and our minds so that when we do enter that place, we can trust that you care, that you provide, you protect, and you will never leave us. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.